But I want to get into my message this morning. Uh, we're finishing up this I Am series that we've been in uh, over the last four weeks. This is the fourth week. Um, last week being Resurrection Sunday, we really got to take a look at that. I am the resurrection. We love celebrating uh, what Jesus has done for us through his defeat of sin and death, or coming out of the grave, his victory becoming our victory. And we really celebrate those things. But I want to go to a portion of scripture that is the last I am statement that Jesus makes. All the other ones are from the book of John. Uh, but this one is from the book of Revelation. So it'll be really easy for you to find if you're looking in your Bible today. All you've got to do is turn to the very last page of your Bible. Unless you have a concordance and maps, that'll get weird. Like the end of Revelation, all right? And, and that's where we're going to be going today. But I want to kind of give you a little bit of background here. Uh, the book of Revelation was written by John, who is the same one who wrote the book of John, the Gospel of John. So these I am statements are a really big part of what he saw in Jesus' ministry and recorded. And, and John was one of the fortunate disciples. He was the only one who we believe did not have to be martyred for his faith. He was the lucky winner. Instead of being martyred, he was tarred and exiled to an island by himself. Sounds like a win, right? Uh, where he spent the rest of his life. And there it is where he got this revelation from God about the things that are to come. But in Revelation 22, verse 13, I just want to read this with you, this I am statement. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the alpha and the omega. This is a poetic way of saying, I am everything. I am in everything. I am a part of everything. And especially as we're closing out the entire Bible, right here, the last page of your Bible for the book of Revelation, he's saying, I was at the beginning in creation and I'm going to be at the end when my reward is given to my people in heaven. I've been everywhere in between. It's this, also this promise of, hey, I created everything. I created it in perfection. It got a little messed up. Can we just agree we messed God's plan up just a little bit? But he said, it's okay because ever since the moment where sin entered the world and my plan was broken, I created a plan for salvation to bring people back into relationship with me. And basically it's this, this statement against Satan, you can't defeat me. I'm the beginning and the end. You can do anything that you want, but I win in the end. We win in the end. But I wanted to focus on this today because the, the end is something that is hard for us to really wrap our brains around. You know, let's be honest. Most days we're pretty sure we're going to live forever, right? We, we don't wake up thinking maybe today will be my last day. You know, I said to the worship team this morning as we were in prayer together, what if today was the last time that we had, the last chance we had to corporately worship Jesus together here on earth? Would it change the way we worshiped? Would it, would it change the way that we approach God? But we don't think in those terms because we think, well, I've got all the time in the world ahead of me. Uh, I'm only 25 years old. I'm only 35 years old. Anymore with the modern advances in technology, you could be like, I'm only 70, right? I, I still got 30, 40 good years ahead of me, and I hope you do. But here's the thing that I want us to look at, because the end is described in, by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, and I don't want to read the whole thing with you, but I want to give you the bullet points. These are the things that Jesus says are going to mark the end of everything. He says this, there'll be wars and threats of war. There'll be famines, earthquakes, Christian persecution, Christians abandoning the faith, false prophets, unchecked sin, evangelism, and mission. 
So just for fun, let's go through the checklist here. You tell me if any of these things are going on, all right? Wars and threats of wars. Any of that happening? We're good, okay? Famines. Anybody going hungry anywhere? Obviously not me, but somebody. Earthquakes. Yeah, that's been in the news quite a bit lately, right? Christian persecution. Happening all over. Christians abandoning the faith. Majorly. False prophets. Unchecked sin. Evangelism and mission. Every single thing that Jesus described on this list is happening in our lives right now. But Jesus said this in verse 14. He says, this is not the end, it's the beginning. These are the birth pains, if you will, uh, the, those contractions before the, the birth that you're going to sense and see the things going on in the world around you and you're going to know the end is coming to a close. And so this is what Jesus warns everybody with. So the, the book of Revelation gives us some awesome promises of things that are going to happen when the end finally comes. And they're really awesome. First of all, he says, all things are going to be made new. That's great news, right? Especially when we're talking about a world that has been really torn apart by sin. God says, I'm going to make all of it new. Then we'll have full and complete access to God. What an awesome picture that's going to be going back into what it was like in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve, they just had full access in relationship with God. He says, that's what heaven is going to be like for us. Here's some great news, things that are going to be gone. End of death, sorrow, crying, and pain. Can I get an amen on that one? If you are 50 or 60 plus, I mean, the end of pain sounds amazing. If you're 35 plus some days, it sounds amazing. You're going to have everlasting life. All of these amazing promises, right? And so the book of Revelation describing these promises that are coming at the end, but then it also speaks of exclusion. And this is something that we don't like to focus on a lot in, in what we're studying in Scripture. And I really want to dive into this this morning because God says, I have a plan for redemption, a plan for salvation, a plan to bring people into my promise, but there are some exclusions. There are people who are not going to get to come to heaven. In fact, he gives a list of them in Revelations 21.8 and 22.15. Some of these words might, might be a little scary to you. Number one is cowards. I have bad news for you. If you are afraid of spiders, you can't go to heaven. Somebody's like, wait, what? Uh, what? No, we're not talking about being afraid of spiders, arachnophobia, being afraid of heights or anything like that. We are talking about people who accepted Jesus but were too afraid to live out loud for him. They acted in a cowardly way. They didn't want to stick out. I didn't want people to, be, to notice me. I didn't want to make waves in my work. I didn't want to make waves in my family. I didn't want to make waves in my community. I didn't want to make waves in my neighborhood. I just kind of kept it to myself and I became a super secret 007 Christian. God says, no, it's cowardly. That's cowardly. I put the spirit of God inside of you, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You ought to be living out loud. Then he says this, the unbelievers, we get that. The corrupt, right? Um, corrupt is also the original Greek word there means politician. No, I'm just kidding. I made that up. <laughs> okay, back it down. <laughs> Murderers. The sexually immoral, and I want to pause here because this is an important thing for us to address in our current culture. The sexually immoral that he speaks of to, the original Greek word there is pornaya. And pornaya is a word that describes any sexual act that takes place outside of monogamous relationship between husband and wife. God says that anything that's happening outside of a committed relationship between a man and a woman in marriage is sexual immorality. And he says they will have no part of heaven through that immorality. 
workers of witchcraft, sorcery, idol worshipers, and here's a really tough one, liars. Liars. God says liars will not see heaven. That means when you went to the doctor and they asked you to fill out that form, they're like, how much do you weigh? And you went, hmm. <laughs> Knowing they were going to put you on a scale anyway. And then you go over there and you're like, uh, can I take my shoes off? And my keys. These are just some heavy keys, I'm telling you. Like, at least 10 pounds worth of keys I got, I'm carrying right now. Or, you know, maybe you're a basketball player, football player, and you lie about your height. Like, that guy's not seven foot one. Like, you know, those, those kind of things. But some of those serious things that we lie about, these half-truths uh, that we hold on to, th- this is important. And God says these are the exclusions. These are the people who are not going to be a part of heaven. And right before he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, in verse 12, he says this. Look, I am coming soon. Can I just pause there? If there's ever been a moment in history where we as humanity should be taking these words very seriously, it's probably now, right? I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. Ooh, what does that mean? God says, I'm coming to repay people according to their deeds. In fact, the word there means wages. Like if you had earned a paycheck, right? How many of you are grateful that at the end of every week or two weeks or some of you for a month, I'm sorry, but that you get that paycheck, right? You earned it. You get it. This is the exact same word that he uses here when he's talking about this reward that I'm bringing. He says, I have wages that are going to be paid out. And I know this is a tough thing for us to grapple with, I think, in Christianity, because we, we know in and of ourselves that with absolute certainty, we are saved by grace. Amen? You are saved by grace, not by your works, not by any deed you have ever done or ever could do. You are saved because the Son of God himself stepped in your place and took your punishment upon himself your sin upon himself he died for it went into the grave conquered it and came out and said i win and so do you that's your salvation but there's still something else that he's talking about here in in these wages and this is not just in book of revelation in fact i have a whole list of scriptures here for you that you can read on your own time or write down jeremiah 17 10 says i the lord search the hearts and examine secret motives i give all people their due rewards according to their actions In Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, Jesus tells a story about three workers who work for a master, and he says, this is what the kingdom of heaven will be like. That's how he starts the story. He says, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. A a master goes away, he gives a deposit of money to his servants, one gets 10, one gets 5, one gets 1, and then he comes back and he says, you have to give an account to me for what you've done with what I gave you. And the one servant who did nothing with it God says to him, throw him out into the streets where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven will be like. Romans 6.23, you've probably heard this before. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. In Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Revelation 20, 12, he says, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done. It just keeps coming up over and over again, and he says, look, I'm coming to repay a reward 
for the way that you have lived your life. He says, I'm coming back. And, and, and this is so important to us because there is a distinction. I want to open this up just a little bit more in just a second here. But there is a great distinction between what God has done for us through salvation and the next part of what it means to live for him for the rest of our lives. So Jesus speaks to this right here in, in Revelation twenty two fourteen. This is what he says. Blessed are those who wash their robes. How many of you just have like a pile of laundry at home that just never, ever gets done? right? That's not what he's talking about. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Those promises that we read a few minutes ago, he says those who wash their robes are the ones who are going to enter into that city, who are going to enter into that promise, who are going to enter into that rest. And it's an allusion to, uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 7, where it's talking about the martyrs who have died for their faith. And it says they washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. But this, and, and here again, and even this, this idea of what he speaks to washing, it's not a past tense thing. He says, they washed it. They washed it one time. He says, no, they washed their robes. They continue to do it. And here's the word I want to introduce you to. Maybe you've never heard this before. Literally had people come up to me after the first service this morning and tell me they've never heard this word before. There is salvation, and then there is this, sanctification, have you ever heard of sanctification before? To, to be sanctified is this. It's very simply this. To be set apart for a purpose. To be different, right? To be out there. And, and I would equate it this way. What Jesus has done for us through salvation is to give us through the grace of God a free pass into relationship with God. That's salvation. Sanctification, as he said, I gave you that free pass. Now live like you belong here. Live like you belong here. Live like this is true in your life. Live like this is a reality, not just something you heard, not just something you believe, but something that is at the very core of who you are. And it is something, unfortunately, church, that we don't want to talk about a whole lot anymore. Sanctification, wait, there's, there's a way I've got to act? There's a right way and a wrong way to live? Wait a minute, I thought we were covered by the grace of God that said we could just do anything and everything and God's totally okay with it. I'm sorry to tell you this, he's not. He's not. Now, his grace is sufficient. Listen, the grace of God is awesome. Sanctification is not perfection. Aren't you glad that God doesn't need us to be perfect? How, how disappointing would it be to try to read Scripture, go to church, be a part of any kind of relationship with God, knowing he wants me to be perfect and I never will be? It's not about perfection. Jesus knew our imperfections. In fact, if you go into the book of Romans, Paul, he talks about how he himself, he said, I struggled in my own self to be perfect. He goes, there was something inside of me that God gave to me. He called it his thorn in the flesh, a messenger from hell. And he said, I kept begging God, will you take it away from me? Will you just help me to, to reach this point of perfection? And he said, God told me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is is perfected in your weakness. But church, that doesn't give us the license to then say, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to live however I want to live. I want to go wherever I want to go. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And God's just going to be totally cool with it. Listen, our Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back someday. He said it here, look, I'm coming soon. If we read Revel or, uh, Matthew chapter 24 and we're going through the list of things, I don't know about you, it makes the hair on my neck stand up. I don't have it anywhere else, but there it does. I should shave that and let it think of it. 
It's a scary time to live. And we look at these things like, oh, what does this mean? And what does that mean? And what's happening? And where's it coming? And Jesus, 2,000 years ago, spoke to this moment in history. He said, yeah, it's going to happen. I talk to people who be like, oh, pastor, what are we going to do? All this stuff is happening. It looks like the mark of the beast is coming and and all these other things. we got to stop it. Listen, it's going to happen. You're not stopping it. Jesus said it's going to happen. You're not going to prevent the mark of the beast or anything else that the book of Revelation said is going to happen. Only thing you can do is fully surrender your life to Jesus because he says it's about perseverance. It's those who persevere to the end. Those who wash their robes. It's not the ones who said a prayer once. It's not even the ones who every time the preacher said, who wants to say a prayer, said the prayer. That's salvation. What Jesus is speaking to here is sanctification. Being set apart. And listen, church, we, we have got to get this inside of our heads because God gave us the ability to speak to a world that doesn't know him and display the character of Jesus inside of us without ever saying a word. We're always looking for some way to demonstrate it. I'll put on a t-shirt. I'll wave a banner. I'll, I'll put a, a Facebook post. I'll do this. No, God says my spirit inside of you should be testimony enough to the world around you that you are different. You don't go the places that they go. You don't do the things that they do. You don't say the things that they say. You don't watch the things that they watch. You set yourself apart and you say, I'm not living a life where I'm just going to let little, little amounts of sin come into my heart every single day. No, I draw the line in the sand and say I was bought with a price. And the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for me mandates in my heart and in my spirit that I need to live differently because I want to give Him glory. I'm not earning my way to heaven. I'm worshiping God with my life. I want to worship God with my life. But here's the scary reality in the midst of this. God says, if you're not worshiping me with your life, then there hasn't been a change in you. We don't have have any part of each other. In fact, he tells another story where he says there'll be a time at the end where people come to him and he says he'll separate them like a farmer does sheep and goats to go into different places. Because back then in farming times, sheep and goats served different purposes. And he tells this story and he says, listen, at that moment in time in history, there are going to be people who look at me and they're going to say, but Lord, didn't I go to church every week? Didn't I teach a Sunday school class or help in youth group or I sang on the worship team or I helped out at outreaches? And Jesus said, no, I I never knew you. We had no part with each other. Church, that's the difference of being changed, transformed in our lives. Romans 12, 1 and 2 saying that this is our spiritual act of worship, giving ourselves in worship every day to live set apart and different. Church, your friends should see you're different. Your coworkers should see you're different. Your neighbors should see you're different. Your enemies should see that you're different. Because Jesus inside of you is totally transforming you. And church, this is what God has called us to. We love to celebrate Jesus rose from the dead, right? That's last Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Look what Jesus has done. And we clap and we're excited. But then Jesus says, now live for me like you belong here. Live for me like you belong to eternity. Live for me like you belong to me, like I'm yours and you are mine. That's being set apart and being different. But church, we back away from it. Sometimes we run away from it. We've adopted a culture where we just tell everybody, don't you judge me. You don't judge me. I'm doing my best. I'm doing what I think is right. Don't you judge me. 
I'm telling you, and this is something that Jesus speaks very succinctly to. There is a moment coming in time where every single one of us will stand before God in judgment. In that moment, you're not going to be able to look at Jesus and say, don't you judge me. You don't judge me. He's already told us, he says, there will be judgment. I gave you a good deposit through my son Jesus. I sent the best part of myself to save and redeem you. What, redeem, what, what does that mean? God says you were part of a dying world and I bought you back. I bought you out of that, of that slavery that you're in. I bought you back and set you free. And if you continue to live like a slave to the things of this world, instead of living like someone who is free in Jesus, then we have no part of each other. And in that moment, you won't be able to look at Jesus and say, well, you don't judge me. You don't judge me. Church, if, we, if we're being honest with ourselves, we should be grateful when a brother or sister loves us enough to judge us. It hurts. It hurts, right? But we should be grateful that someone would love me enough to come up and say, brother, you shouldn't be living like that. Sister, you shouldn't be doing those things. You shouldn't be going to those places. You shouldn't be watching that kind of stuff. Brother, you shouldn't be looking at that kind of stuff on your phone. You shouldn't be going those kind of places. You shouldn't be talking that way. It's not judging you. It's loving you because God called us to be set apart. And church, that's the gift that we give to God is that spiritual act of worship. And I just encourage you, take hold of salvation. It's the greatest gift that God has ever given us. There is nothing you're ever going to do to earn that salvation. But God's calling us to live like we belong. God's calling us to live set apart for a world that needs to see a difference. And if they can't see a difference between a believer and an unbeliever, then what purpose do we serve? We should be different. And by the blood of Jesus, we can be. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, we can be. But we've got to start to invite it into our lives. God, convict me if I have sin in me. Eradicate it within my heart. That prayer that David prayed, that David, that dangerous prayer, Father, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way within me. And if there is, purge it. Make it public. Embarrass me. Shame me if necessary. Because I don't want to stand before you someday covered in the sin that you desired to set me free from. That's what he was praying. I don't want to stand before you someday covered in the things that you died to set me free from. So whatever it takes, get it out of my heart, Lord. Get it out of my mind. Get it out of my body because I just want to live for you. Will you bow your heads with me? God, we thank you for the gift of mercy and salvation. What an incredible gift it is. This gift of mercy that we did not deserve and that in a thousand lifetimes we could never have earned. You saved us by your grace. And it's so precious, God. But Lord, I pray that you just begin to speak to us, your church, your bride. Remind us, God, that you are calling us to be set apart a city on a hill, a light in a dark world, salt in a world that needs to know Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would speak that to our hearts. 
that our lives are the testimony of your faithfulness, that our lives are the testament of your salvation at work in our hearts, that you've called us to be set apart and different, not having to walk up and tell everybody I'm a Christian or a t-shirt or a post or whatever, but that our lives just scream with every action, with every attitude, with every decision, I have been bought with a price and my life is no longer my own. I'm a child of God. Lord, plant that in our hearts. Because there's a world that needs to know you. Lord, we know that they're not going to be won through wit. They're not going to be won through argument or debate. They're going to be won when they see the grace of God on display in our hearts and in our lives. So would you consecrate us, God? Would you set us apart and help us? Holy Spirit, would you convict sin in us? Church, can I just ask you, and I've never asked anybody to do this before, I just feel the need to do it. Can you put your hand over your own heart and just say, God, would you convict sin in my heart if there's any? Convict the sin in us, God. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would convict the sin in our lives because we want to be set apart for your glory. We want to live like we belong to the house of Almighty God. Lord, knowing that even when we stumble and fall, your grace is sufficient, that your strength is perfected in our weakness. As we're in prayer, I just want to ask you this morning, every eyes closed and head is bowed, it's just a moment between you and Jesus. Maybe you and yourself, you know, like I love the gift of salvation that God has given to me. I so greatly appreciate what Jesus has done to save my life. But I want to live a life now that is set apart. I want to be different for Jesus. I don't want to be like everybody else. I want to be completely different from the things of this world that everyone will see in me, somebody that that God has totally transformed. If that's you, can I just ask you to slip up a hand because I want to pray for you this morning. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Hands all over the room because that's the cry of our hearts. Anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. This is your moment to say to God, yes, that's me, Lord. That's me. I need that, God. I want to live set apart for you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Can I ask you to stand as we prepare to close together in this moment? I just want to pray over you and listen. As I've said so many times, this is your walk with Christ. It's your decision. It's your life. I can't be sanctified for you. Your spouse, your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, they can't be sanctified for you. You've got to make that decision for yourself. You've got to be the one that has the boldness to say, God, set me apart. Make me different for your glory. But I want to pray that over you and that God would give you the ability to do that. So Lord, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that by the power of the blood of Jesus, that same power that raised Jesus from the grave, by the power of the Holy Spirit that you depart, you gave into every single one of our lives when you departed, Lord, I pray, God, that you would begin to work in us and stir in us to be set apart, to be set on fire, to be a people who do not live, that we might be in this world, but no one would ever look at us and say that we're of this world, that they would see the difference in us, and that difference is Jesus. It's not a people who are living in perfection. It's not a people who've got it all together. It's not a people who are just walking around telling everybody about how great we are, but a people who see that Jesus inside of me makes me different. 
God, I pray that that testimony would shine everywhere that we go, in our workplaces, among our families, in our communities, in our church, in our neighborhoods, everywhere, God, that your spirit would be a light to the lost world as you convict sin in our hearts and as we learn to live for your glory, set apart, sanctified, as a people who are redeemed, God. Lord, we do this for you, Lord, not for just a reward. You've already given us our reward. You've been so gracious to us, God. We just want to live for you as worship, to thank you for all that you have done for us. God, that's all we have to give. And we love you. I pray, God, that you would just fill us with your anointing to go out into a world that needs to see Jesus armed with the reality that maybe the only way they'll see him is through us. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, never forget, you may be the only Jesus that somebody ever gets to see. I hope that you live for his glory. Go into the world filled with the Holy Spirit for what God has called you to do. Live for him, set apart, and love on each other in Jesus' name. Our prayer team is up here. If you would like prayer this morning, they would love to connect with you and just pray over you for whatever you have going on in your life.